Welcome to another episode of E-Commerce on Tap, brought to you by Sourceify. I'm your host, Nathan Resnick. Please like and subscribe. We're super excited for today's guest, and here we go. Today we have O's friend, Taylor Offer, the founder of Feet. Taylor, thanks for joining us. What's up? Thanks for having me. Excited to be yeah, here. Yeah, my pleasure. I, I want to start just with your backstory. Give people a quick 30-second rundown on who you are and a bit about Feet and where the brand's at. 30 seconds. Okay. I'll try to speak quickly on it. I started the company in college with Parker Burr. He had an idea. He was making custom lacrosse uniforms and then figured out how to make socks. And he was playing around with these socks. I was like, oh, this is really cool. I think we could sell these around campus. So we started selling socks just out of our backpack a senior year. This was 2014, 2015. From there, I became fascinated with social media. And this was before influencer was a word. And I became fascinated with this app called Vine, if you remember Vine. And figured out all these Viners lived in one building in Hollywood. And I was like, I have to move in this building. I have to work with these people. We moved to Los Angeles, moved into that building. The collaborations with people like Logan Paul, the Chainsmokers, Ali Raisman, Chad Ochocinco, and sold a ton of product that way, which kind of got us into e-commerce we learned we want to make more than socks. So now it's all about making the softest and most comfortable products in the world. So clothes that you could wear. I realized how sensory sensitive I was to clothing and how when I put on a suit and tie or something uncomfortable, I become rigid. I become a shell of myself. I'm not happy. So we're trying to make clothes that make you feel as comfortable as you are when you're on the couch. And that's like the feeling of just mental and physical comfort that you could wear in any setting. So to work, to work out, to dinner and everywhere in between. Nice. That's awesome. I want to talk first about your product development process because creating the comfiest hoodie ever obviously takes a lot of thought and a lot of back and forth with factories and product designers and everyone in between. So I guess I'm curious, number one, where'd the inspiration come from? And number two, what does your product development process look like at Feet? Yeah. So it's interesting. A lot of the inspiration, I have to give a lot of credit to Parker. He's, uh, he really saw this trend with this inside out, super soft looking hoodies that look soft. So that's how we really started growing in this space was these super soft hoodies. So Parker had a really good finger on the pulse of what people wanted. From there, we've just gone from that and said, okay, people like us for soft and comfort. What else, what other categories can go out to? And where I'm looking at moving forward with the brand is what is the person's day look like? What are they wearing through the day? They probably wake up and they can mm-hmm. wear some comfy clothes at home. At work, they have to wear something that's uncomfortable. So it's like, how do we make product for work that looks like you're professional, but is super comfortable? That kind of thought process of, okay, what does our person in our demographic do throughout their life? And how can we make their life more comfortable? Got it. Makes sense. And in terms of when you actually size out your products, I mean, you have custom cut and trims and that whole process. What does that look like? Like, how do you know what a large is, what an XL is, what a small is? And how does that look like across so many different product categories? You have joggers, you have hoodies, you have socks, you have so many SKUs, but how do you actually size everything out, especially, you know, in the early days that you're launching your product? Yeah. So in the early days, to be honest, we didn't think about it that much because we were only selling mostly hoodies. As we expanded SKUs with tops and bottoms, we had to realize a blanket blend hoodie has to fit the same way that a roam hoodie fits or that a waffle hoodie fits. And that's when it gets very difficult because all these fabrics are all treated differently. They all wash differently. They all wear differently. But if you're a large in one thing, we need consistency. So we've done a great job hiring. So we hired our COO, this guy, Nate Poland. He came from Outdoor Voices, Bonobos on the operational side. So he's been really helpful. We just hired last year, we brought on a senior product developer, which has been amazing. 
just that amount of detail and attention to detail, especially as you expand on a new SKU, it's like everything that can go wrong will go wrong. And if you're not on right. top of it, you're learning. Even for us, we still come out with SKUs and they don't fit the way we want. It's extremely frustrating. So these are our tree cell t-shirts. This is something we made net new from scratch. It's a 10 cell cotton poly mix with some RAM. So it's just very interesting, unique mix to us. Super stretchy, super soft. When we got the first specs one, this got shirt it. right now, I don't know if you could see, it's yeah. a double XL that I'm wearing. So this is our V1 double XL. Just to show you, I'm six feet. I normally wear a large and like right. this is, I wear a double XL in these shirts because a large would fit me like that. Got so it. If you're not on top of these specs and you're not on top of it, you're going to have issues. And the issues are so expensive when you do these massive product runs and timelines and it becomes very difficult because you can't sell that product to your customer, especially when you're right. a brand that features quality. So to be on top of that, it's hard. It's like everything that can go wrong will go wrong. So you need to know a thousand possible things that can go wrong. Yeah. I want to touch on the material for a bit because you spent some time discussing the specific material that makes up that shirt. Who decides on the material blend and the fabric blend to make that product, right? Is that specifically your product designer? What does that process look like? Is it just a matter of getting a bunch of swatches back from your factory or how do you actually decide this is the specific blend that we want for this shirt or hoodie or whatever it may be? Yeah. So Jill, who is our senior product developer, her and I actually go to fabric shows and we go to big fabric shows in New York. We went to one recently, we flew out there. There's some big ones in Los Angeles as well. So we go to these fabric shows and these fabric shows are crazy, right? It's, I, I don't know if you, I'm sure you've been to similar type shows. It's not the Canada mm-hmm. Fair, but only fabrics. So you all go around and in one day, I'm not kidding. I'll touch like probably 5,000 different fabric swatches. And wow. the biggest thing for us is we start with hand feel. It has to feel special and unique. So that's where we always mm-hmm. start. And we're just going by touching fabrics, touching fabrics. And then we'll say, okay, I don't really understand fabrics the way Jill does, but she is such an expert where I could say, this one feels super soft, but it's a little scratchy. And she goes, oh, it's scratchy because there's some linen in that. So if we go 10% less linen here, we'll get that same texture, but less scratch. And then we start iterating from there. So really we just start by touching, feeling, and then communicating. And it's interesting. There's so many different adjectives I didn't know to use because it's a whole different, it's a wholly different language, right? So working with Jill, this fabric is gummy, this fabric is yummy, this fabric is scratchy, this fabric is, and she's just using these words and I'm like, what is a gummy fabric? Like, what is that? And so little terms that you don't even know, this fabric will be good for the gusset. And I'm like, what's the gusset? And she's right. like, you know, pants or you have a thing underneath and it's just all these like tiny little things or the ribbing, or there's a lot of really interesting, like the collar is baconing and you're like, what does the collar baconing mean? And then you're just like, oh, right. it's intuitive. Imagine a piece of bacon when it cooks and it triples up. Right. It's interesting. It's been a whole new language. Yeah. And it gets so technical, right? It's each industry you dive into. There's so many different technicalities within the industry. People come to SourceFind and say, Hey, I want to produce a t-shirt. There's a thousand questions I could ask you about that shirt you want to produce. And that's really in the e-commerce world. What excites me, I know Taylor, you're more of a marketer and that's your main bread and butter. And just seeing the growth trajectory that feed has been on. I'm curious, like, Where do you see the landscape for growth in e-commerce right now? I think probably 2018 to 2020, even 2021, Facebook, Instagram, just paid acquisition was huge. Now there's a lot of different offline channels that I know Feet has explored. I guess let's get a pulse on the current acquisition strategy that Feet has been utilizing. 
Yeah, so like you mentioned, I think there's a point from like 2016 to 2020 where the game got too easy, where you could just CPMs and CPAs, and there was such an arbitrage opportunity on these digital channels that was Facebook and Instagram that you could put up any product. It didn't have to be extremely unique or really differentiated or special. You take some good product shots of it, you put paid spend behind it, and you could scale a company. Those days are over, which actually gets me excited because we have a lot of knockoff brands, there's a lot of competitors. Where I think it actually goes now is you have to make world-class product, number one. If your product's not awesome, you're never gonna retain a consumer. Like you have to make amazing product, you have to be unique, and you have to start looking at other channels. It's back to like old school brand building. It's not as simple as, there's a point even for us, 2016 to 2020, where we would put 90% of our marketing budget, 95% of our marketing budget into Facebook and Google, and Facebook, Instagram, wow. Google. And marketers got really lazy, not in a negative way, in a way that if you could put a dollar into those platforms and get three back, why would you spend in the same day? Why would you spend money anywhere else? So right. nobody spent money anywhere else, which gets me excited because I've always been fascinated by one of my role models is what he was able to do with billboards and jeans uh, way back in the day and these different types of advertising mediums. These traditional e-commerce companies haven't been able to go after. So I'm excited. I'm excited for it's kind of like the World West again, which gets me excited about that. I'm curious too. So many marketers talked about iOS 14 having such a negative impact on tracking and the way that the returns were orchestrated on Facebook and Instagram and other social media ad channels. Do you think iOS 14 like actually had that big of an impact in terms of digital ad spend through Facebook and Instagram, or do you think it was just a reason that people blamed for not seeing the results that they wanted to see on 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 Facebook? I think everybody who advertised on Facebook and Instagram in, in e-commerce since 2014. Every year, the window closed a little bit. So year one, let's say 2015, you could advertise and you can get a 5x return in ad spend same day. 2016, you get a 4x and you're like, okay, oh shit, it's worse than last year, but it's still okay. And then right. 2018, you get a 3x and you're like, ooh, okay, we're still really profitable. It's growing. 2019, you might get a 2x or it's still, you're able to sustain I think most e-commerce companies set themselves up in a way where anything above 1.5, 2x, same day attributed, they can kill at their break-even point for a lot of these companies. So a lot right. of these companies are like, ooh, we're getting close to the break-even, we're getting closer to break-even. And we're like, it's getting tighter, it's getting tighter, this window closes because bigger advertisers start putting budgets in, right? The Fords of the world, GMs, or these big companies right. start putting Coca-Cola, million-dollar budgets in that got the options a lot higher. So it was closing, it was closing, it was closing. It was still open a little bit, wasn't fully closed. And then iOS 14 just came in and fully shut the door. Like mm. no chance. Most people I know were not able to even advertise at a positive return on ad spend. So they had to pull back a lot of ad spend on the channel. So it was wow. a pretty abrupt stop for a lot of people. Everyone mm -hmm. knew the end was near. Nobody thought it would close that quickly. And I know one of the channels that a lot of traditional e-commerce brands are now exploring, and I know Feet opened its own storefront. What does that look like? Is that more an office slash storefront? Is it a way to showcase product more effectively? It seems a lot of these e-commerce brands have opened their own storefronts. Obviously, there's a lot of that comes with that, a whole other staff that you've got to deal with operating the store. What do you see from a storefront channel with these e-commerce brands? The stores are awesome in many ways, and they're very difficult in many ways. Stores don't have the scale that e-commerce does, right? You can't grow revenue day over day, doubling it. You can't double week over week, day over day. Stores, 
they have mm -hmm. a ceiling to how much you can do in store. But there's a lot of positives to the store in terms of brand building, in terms of community building, these other marketing channels that I'm talking about and just be, being beyond an e-commerce brand. So I think there's a, in my mind, there's a negative connotation towards e-commerce brands, especially in clothing. And there was all these drop shippers right. that came around and there's all these people just like saying, it's hard for us, especially for us, we're selling soft and comfort and quality. You can't see or feel or touch soft comfort quality in just a picture online. So it's right. almost like saying, this is the tastiest hamburger ever. Look at a picture of it. People have to come in and try the hamburger. So that's how I think about the stories. People come in, they touch, they feel, they talk to their friends about it. It's important for community and building community like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. And I feel like stores are so vital for communities, but at the same time, like you said, there's a ceiling that you hit with that store before you continue to grow. And a lot of brands try to expand their store front and hopefully that helps expand their community. But at the end of the day, it's not as scalable as your own website. The mm -hmm. kind of other thing I, I wanted to ask in terms of new growth strategies is what your thoughts are on TikTok, right? TikTok just has taken off over the past few years. There's so many people on TikTok. There's so many brands advertising through TikTok. I know you post a lot on TikTok. What's your overall thesis on TikTok as a TikTok's fun. It, to me, it's, it's fun because it's a game where it democratizes content, where it seemed like for a while on Facebook and Instagram and everything you were posting had to be extremely polished and extremely high quality and professional. And TikTok democratizes that. If you don't have a professional camera, if you don't have a professional setup, if you don't have the investment to put into content, raw UGC style content really wins. So some of our best TikTok ads are literally just me pulling up my camera like this and saying, what's up, mm. Taylor here. I'm gonna tell you about this shirt. Here's why the shirt's awesome. It's made from eucalyptus trees. Look, it's super stretchy. Check it out. And it's as simple as that. So I love that. It's more storytelling. Yeah, and I'm curious too, what do you see behind the dynamic of UGC type of content on TikTok that kind of goes viral in itself and that has a very minimal, if any, production budget versus there was that era of Dr. Squatch type of top of funnel ads where they're spending yeah. $50,000, $150,000 to produce a really strong top of funnel ad. And it seems like it's a big risk to invest that much in that type of ad without knowing if it's going to hit or not. What's your thesis behind investing in a big budget ad versus just UGC like you just? I think big budget is still important. You could do a lot of UGC, but if you're a brand that's, you can't only do UGC. There's something that was super high quality ads equals high quality product. So <laughs> it's still for those companies you mentioned, the dollar shave club type videos, like it's still, you land on a page and you see that type of really top-notch creative, top-notch product quality shots. It makes you think quality of the brand. I think it's a combination of engaging UGC style, but also really high quality content as well, especially for these brands that have premium price points. Yeah. Yeah. I think it wraps into the whole funnel, depending on the brand positioning and depending on the video. The other thing that I feel like a lot of brands have focused on and that there's a lot of new software around is just backend analytics. Do you use any of those tools like Triple Whale or any of these other backend analytic tools to have a full picture of what's actually happening? Because I feel like relying on your Facebook ad platform or Google Analytics, you know, really doesn't give you the full picture like some of these analytics softwares do today. Yeah, we don't use Google or Facebook in platform attribution for anything. So we do use triple wheel for everything in terms of attribution. It's just a cleaner picture across channel. 
And when you look at in-channel, TikTok, Facebook, it just doesn't look that good. And th that, those numbers are not accurate. So we use Triple L for attribution across all of our digital spends. And it's been interesting. Triple L's been like, TikTok is our number one spending channel right now. I never thought anything would replace Facebook or Instagram. It's interesting to see that TikTok is really growing. And do you think that's mostly because the demographic on TikTok is more geared towards feed? Or do you think it's because Facebook and Instagram, just the performance and, and tracking isn't as good as it used to be? I guess my question is why? It sounds like you can handle attribution through Triple Whale pretty effectively. Why has TikTok become the main channel? And it seems like a lot of brands are spending more on TikTok too. It's 100% the type of content. It's the consumer on the internet wants TikTok style content. And it's interesting. On you scroll Twitter, you'll see TikTok videos on Twitter. Even on LinkedIn, there's TikTok videos on LinkedIn. There's TikTok type videos on Reels on Instagram. That's the type of content the consumer wants. They don't want this Instagram type content of just a very pretty product shot or a very pretty flat lay. That there's a point where that's what people craved on the internet. I would say from 2015 to 2019 right. on Instagram, it was like. Even when we would post on our personal Instagrams, like you, you just post one very polished, very edited photo. People don't want that mm -hmm. in today's age. They want real, they want raw. So I think that's why TikTok's really working. It's just like, that's what consumers want right now. Yeah, I've got a few final questions here and most around influencers, right? Because I've seen Feet partner with influencers and do custom lines around influencers. And now at Sourceify, we have a lot of influencers that have been coming to us to create their own brands. And I think it follows that Kylie Cosmetics type of model where she had such a large audience and built a brand and product offering that her audience would love. And so I guess I'm curious, number one, from a brand standpoint, are these brand collaborations with influencers really top notch and really important to do as a brand grows? It depends on the brand, right? I think the biggest thing is it has to be authentic and it has to make sense. So you have to do a collaboration with someone that fits the brand. And that's super important. And I think a lot of times brands try to force influencer collaborations with influencers that don't fit the brand and mm -hmm. they don't work well. If the influencer and the brand aren't similar and they're not benefiting from it each other, there's no point. So I'm trying to think of an example. Like it wouldn't make sense for Feet to do a collaboration with Andrew Tate, let's say. Mm -hmm. He does have a big following. But on TikTok, but his brand does not fit Feet's brand. So even if we did a collaboration with him, that would not do well. It makes a lot of sense for our brand new collaborations with people like Kristen Cavalier or Helen Owen, where they fit our brand very well. The biggest thing I think with that is just don't force it. If it is brand aligned, go for it, but be very careful and make right. sure it's brand aligned. And then speaking of these brand collaborations, how do you typically structure them? What's the rough structure for a brand that's listening that is interested in doing a collaboration? What's that outline look like? Yeah, it really varies collaborator to collaborator, right? Like different people at different points in their careers want different things. So I think it's important just to have a conversation with these different collaborators and listen to them. Some collaborators, it's so important for them to get minimum guarantees and upfronts. Mm. Some want different splits and they want a split on revenue. Some want equity, some want different things. So it's, I think just listen to the collaborator, learn where they're at on the journey, learn what's important for them and see if that makes sense with what aligns for you. Makes a lot of sense. I'm curious, what's your overall thesis right now in regards to these influencers and content creators launching their own brand? I think we both know a close friend, Kevin, who runs Epic Gardening. He's created this huge online gardening audience, and now he has an eight-figure gardening product line that is fueled primarily through his content on Epic Gardening's YouTube and TikTok and Instagram. What's your overall 
pulse on these content creator led brands? I think it's interesting if it makes sense, the example you gave, if it's someone who's already putting around content around it, so it makes sense. So if he's already making mm -hmm. content around gardening, it makes sense to do something around that in terms of products. It wouldn't make sense for someone like him to launch a skincare brand or something where you're right. saying, wait, what does this guy know about that? So right. I think with Kylie Cosmetics, it makes sense because she's very into cosmetics. It wouldn't make sense right. for her to launch a gardening brand. So I think number one, it has to be, right. there should be continuity between what they're releasing and their content. So they should already prove themselves as an mm -hmm. expert. And then number two, it has to be a good product. You cannot right. just market your way to success because people will buy it once and be like, that's a shit product. Got it. Makes sense. Two final questions here. Number one, if you were going to start an e-commerce brand today, what would you do? What would be your approach? You've been in the ecosystem for so long now. You've seen it change. What's something that you would do today if you were starting from scratch today? Starting from scratch today to start any brand, I'd probably start a brand, a clothing brand that was all about making you comfortable through every aspect of life. So I'm glad I'm doing what I would start and I'm enjoying what I'm doing with Beat. So I'm really excited about the mission that we're on here, making super comfortable clothes to help. I would start something which I'm doing right now that I think is solving a very big problem. And the big problem is I see how so many of my peers, how uncomfortable they are all day. Right. A lot of people have anxiety. They don't want to go in the house. And so much of comfort is about tactile right. clothes you're wearing and how you feel physically. So right. to me, to be able to solve this, that's the most exciting thing. But if I was starting right, it would be solving a problem that I'm actually passionate about. Because otherwise, if you're not passionate about the problem, when you hit a roadblock, you're going to stop. But if yeah, you have this thing yeah. inside you that's saying, I need to get this out in the world, I need to make it happen, you're going to push those roadblocks. So I would just definitely say, do something you're passionate about, and then the rest will figure itself out. Totally. That's a great answer. And last final question, what's one question that I didn't ask that you want to talk about? Ooh, one question that you didn't could ask. Could be in e-commerce, could be in life, could be that that's top of mind in today's world. You can ask me how I'm doing how are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Doing well. Excited to be talking to you. And I feel like I've known you for so long and it's just been incredible to see your growth and Feet's growth and, you know, where you guys are at today. It's just been a, a pleasure. I guess to, to wrap up here, where can people find or follow you? And is there any discount code we can give our uh, listeners for Feet? Yes, you can find me. We'll definitely give you a discount code. Find me on LinkedIn. Just search Taylor Offer, Instagram at Taylor Offer, TikTok at Taylor Offer. Yeah, I don't know. You tell me what percent discount would you like? And I'll, I'll do Sourceify with that number. So you, right now you can give the discount to your audience. All right, Sourceify. Use code Sourceify for 10% off at Feet. Com. Let's prove how good this podcast is. I say we quadruple her five X. All right, we can do we can do forty percent off. Let's do source of five forty. Let's really hook these people up. If someone listens right. this long, and this will be the case study for you when you go talk to other brands saying, Look how many conversions we got on feet because we gave such a massive deal. There we go. Forty percent off. Use code sourceify. Taylor, thank you for coming on. E commerce on tap. All right, sourceify forty for forty percent off. Thank you again, Taylor, for coming on e-commerce on tap. Sweet. Thanks for having Thank you for listening to e-commerce on tap brought to you by Sourceify. If you could like and subscribe, we'd greatly appreciate it. And please keep an eye out for our next episode.